Private Lender Podcast, Episode 57. The Private Lender Podcast quote of the day comes to us from Robert Arnott, who said, In investing, what is comfortable is rarely profitable. This is the Private Lender Podcast, the show that shares practical advice and know-how for new and seasoned lenders, from private mortgages on single-family houses to joint ventures on commercial projects and beyond. Discover details about investment vehicles that you won't find at your local bank or online broker. Listen and learn from private lenders and real estate investors, as well as from professionals and entrepreneurs, as they share the details, strategies, and the insight that allows for successful and prosperous lending. Now, get ready to increase your ROI. Here's your host, Keith Baker. If you are looking for a place to learn the mechanics of being a private money lender to real estate investors, then you are in the right place. Welcome to the Private Lender Podcast, the only podcast that is rated number one in the eyes of my mom. This is episode number 57, and my name is Keith Baker. I'll be providing hosting services for you today, so just let me know if there's anything I can do to make this experience better for you. It's my mission to create private lenders and to create a community where people just like you and I can safely and confidently invest and build wealth with old world values and pragmatism and without banks or Wall Street. You know, 2019 has started off to be a very international year here at the uh, Private Lender Podcast, where we had Victor Minash from Canada on episode 54, still geeking out about the Rush Connection. And he was on the first of the year. And today I have a very distinct honor to interview a father and daughter powerhouse all the way from New Zealand. Steve and Michelle Green live almost 8,000 miles away, and yet they have found a way to invest in single-family homes, real estate here in the United States. I find their story fascinating and very interesting and believe that you, Lender Nation, will as well. But before we get into that, let's go ahead and thank our sponsor. This episode of the Private Lender Podcast is proudly sponsored by CountyTaxSaleApp.org. With CountyTaxSaleApp.org, you get a very powerful lead generation tool in the palm of your hand, on your laptop, desktop, or any device you choose. Get real-time alerts for between 300 and 600 properties every month that are coming up for the foreclosure auction in Harris County, Texas, the third largest county in the United States. With this intuitive design and interface, the County Tax Sale app lets you search all properties with highly motivated sellers that are coming up for foreclosure auction. Simply search the map and click on a property to learn important details about that property such as the address, owner's contact info, minimum bid, and a street view photo. You can save properties to your favorites and contact the sellers directly and receive email and text alerts if one of your favorite properties is redeemed or canceled prior to the auction. You can even listen to Sammy Gupta on episode 28 of this podcast as he discusses all the powerful features and benefits of CountyTaxSaleApp.org. For more information, go to the Private Lender Podcast sponsor page, the show notes page for this episode, or to CountyTaxSaleApp.org. That's CountyTaxSaleApp.org. You know, I am very grateful to our sponsors, CountyTaxSaleApp.org and 713RIA.com. Please go to the PrivateLenderPodcast.com slash sponsors to find out more about these wonderful sponsors. So let's get to the heart of the matter, huh? When I think of all the excuses I gave in the past as to why I was or wasn't doing something, mostly why I wasn't doing something, it's too hard. I don't have the time. I don't have the money, whatever the case may be. I get a sense of shame now when I think back on that. And I don't think that's uncommon among investors. And it's not necessarily a bad thing unless you let it ruin you or run you. 
but you know, if, I think it's a good thing if we can find motivation in those emotions. I certainly find it there now. And I heard recently this thing about, you know, you should never compare yourself to another. And I, I said, okay, so don't compare yourself to another as we go around and we journey around the sun, you know, through life, which of course is easier said than done. After hearing how today's guests are investing in real estate in Texas, in my backyard, all the way from New Zealand, well, I, I uh, feel downright lazy because Steve and Michelle Green are negating all of the excuses, mine, yours, everybody's, for not putting in the hustle and getting things done, figuring out a way and making it happen. This dynamic father and daughter investing duo tell us how they do it. They share it with me and, our, and us today, and I'm forever grateful, so let's go ahead and get to it. Well, Lender Nation, I'm honored today to be interviewing Steve and Michelle Green all the way in New Zealand. Steve and Michelle, welcome to the Private Lender Podcast. Thank you very much indeed, Pleasure to be here. A little background. When I started this podcast, I guess it was back in April or May, I, somebody reached out on LinkedIn. It was this fellow named Steve Green, and uh, I didn't realize the significance at the time, but in, and then in August of this year, 2018, we, we met at the Quest IRA Expo. And Steve said, this is my daughter, Michelle, and, and we were investing in the southern United States. And I said, okay, well, you don't sound like you're from Houston or, or Dallas. So how is it that you guys have come in and invest in the United States? And we caught up before you left. When, thank you for the lunch. And I was chomping at the bit to have you guys come on because I think your story is absolutely fascinating. And I can't wait for you to tell it to the listeners today. Sure. Well, if I go down my normal route, Keith, I'll probably be here for all, all the rest of the day, but I'll try and keep it brief. That's why we get along, Steve. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible at being brief. <laughs> we were investing here in New Zealand, and um, for various reasons, again, I won't go into it, um, our portfolio of pop properties wasn't performing as, as well as it should have been. The government here made things very, very difficult for landlords, so we started looking further afield. 2012, I decided to go to Sacramento on a hard money lenders course. While I was there, of course, I met a lot of wholesalers doing reasonably well for themselves, and that prompted an interest in getting involved in the States. A few things happened after that, and uh, in 2014, I really started to get really, really interested. We sold off our portfolio in New Zealand altogether, got out of it, and um, we started to market in 2015 to see if we could find any properties in Florida. I always wanted to work in Texas. I knew several people that were working in San Antonio and, and Houston. Uh, looked like a great market to be, but there was just something in my research that said, hey, go to Jacksonville, Florida. That's the market to be in. So we started looking around at how we could do this. Um, we put out some mailers, I think, and some Facebook ads and bits and pieces, just generally dipping our toes in the water while everybody here was saying, oh, you can't do that. It cannot be done. So, of course, Steve Green being Steve Green, when somebody tells me I can't do it, I go out to prove that they're wrong. 2015, late 2015, we came across um, a couple in Florida who were at the same level as we were, very, very new. They wanted to get involved but didn't know how they could do it. So we had a chat and we said, well, look, what about if we do the marketing? We'll find and screen the sellers. Then we'll bring the deals to you. You can close the deals over there. Yep, that seemed to work. First year, we closed 18 deals between the two of us. And that's what really got us rolling. The thing in Texas evolved when we decided that we were at such a, a level that we could really go to where we wanted to invest. 
and not where we had to invest. So we wished the other couple very well, and we came over to Texas, as you know, in August of this year, spent two months there, met you at Quest Expo, and uh, the rest, as they say, is history. For one, two months in, in the United States, yeah, that's cool. Number one, I'm jealous that you, you're able to take that much time uh, <laughs> and spend it in another country, but it's not like you're, I mean, you're working it. You're not sitting on the beach sipping Mai Tais. You're, you're out there networking and yeah, analyzing it when we got back. And I think we decided that we had three days off the entire time we were there. And even then, they weren't really days off. We still did a bit of work. but <laughs> I, I could imagine, yeah. It's great to, to meet you guys. And I'd like to talk about your backgrounds a little bit, because a lot of the questions I get are people think that they don't have a background in, say, construction or lending or anything else. And, they, and I really want to show that it's going to take work. You can't snap your fingers and be done. But if you could go into your backgrounds, because I love the different sides of it and how you guys kind of wedge it, you know, come together and invest. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll start. I sort of got dragged along in this. I don't really know how it happened, but um, I just know that dad gave me a book when I was about, oh gosh, it must have been about 15, 16 years old, and it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I read it, and something in it resonated with me. And the idea of, you know, having a business that can work for you you know, so that you can go and do the things that you want in life really started to appeal to me. But, you know, by that stage, I'd already gone quite a way through my education and I knew that I wanted to go off to university and study law. So I went away and I did that. And while I was there, I sort of found myself dabbling in real estate all the time. And that was around about the time that mum and dad started buying their investment properties over here. And I'll never forget, I went to a, a seminar or, a, you know, one day course type thing in Christchurch and I must have spent something like $500 to get there. And then I ended up purchasing a course that was 1500 and got absolutely suckered along into it. But I came out of it the other end thinking, you know, that course was an absolute waste of money, but this is something that I'd really like to spend some more time doing. And so I really started to develop an interest in real estate and I eventually ended up getting my salesperson certificate, a real estate salesperson certificate here in New Zealand and working for a real estate agency. And then, yeah, I got into law and started practicing property law. And I was doing that for a good four or five years on and off, both here and in Australia. And I enjoyed doing the property law stuff, but I always wanted to start my own business. And, you know, I just found myself becoming guided by dad. And before we knew where we were, he'd hooked me in on the premise of he had a shoulder surgery and he said that he needed somebody to help him while he had his surgery. <laughs> and yeah, that's my story. <laughs> just all sort of snowballed from there. That's great. So you, uh, you kind of came along kicking and screaming with dad, I guess. So. <laughs> you know, developing the love as I went. So. That's, that's... <laughs> and now I love it. Now I just yeah, love it. No, it's a great field to be in. For sure. And that's, uh, I remember when we met, I was like, oh, you're an attorney. And, and you were like, yeah, I want to get out of it. I'm like, <laughs> why? But I understand completely, completely. Such a stressful world being an attorney. And, um, you know, I was going to work every day, taking on board everybody else's problems. And, you know, I just thought, well, if I can solve everyone else's problems, then why don't I put that to some better use and, you know, actually get into a business where I can start solving our own problems, you know? So... How about you, Steve? You got a law background? No, no. I'm, well, I have, and she's sitting here. Yeah. <laughs> she's right back. Yeah, yeah. She does the uh, contract. She looks over the legal documents. So that's my background. Yeah, I started off life as a, an electrician. I had a great 
boss at the time. There was three of us working in a small workshop out in England. And uh, he kept saying to me, go self-employed, go self-employed. I said, Dad, I don't want to do that. And then one day he said to me, if you don't come in on Monday and be self-employed, he said, I've got no work. So I thought he was kidding. Turned up on Monday and he said, so show me your ticket. I said, I haven't got it. He said, I haven't got any work. And he was serious. And I had to go home and I had to call my accountant, my CPA. And I turned up and I said, okay, I'm at work. I said, and uh, I'm self-employed. He said, great, I'm going to double your wages immediately. That was the eye-opener for me. That really was into some kind of self-employment. He also had properties and he kept saying to me, buy properties, buy properties. I, I just ignored him. The whole time that I worked for him, I thought, no, that's not for me. But every time I went away from the real estate, I kept getting brought back to it by somebody or something. And eventually, when we moved to New Zealand, 1995, we moved out here, we noticed a lot of people were getting involved in it. So I started to take a bit of an interest in it, go to seminars and whatever. Still didn't really resonate. Then we ended up going back to the UK about three years later, and we had an investor buy a property. And of course, he came in and he offered us a price that we really didn't want to take. But the lifestyle going back to the UK was obviously appealing to my wife more than me. And um, we took that lower offer. And the time that we spent back in the UK, I really started to think about this and process it. We ended up coming back out to New Zealand in 2003, and that's when I really started to get into it. And uh, 2008 was when we bought our home, and two months later, we bought our first rental property. So it was as quickly as that. And within three months, we bought our second rental property. And so it snowballed. We just got interested. As I say, the market here wasn't great, but we were into that kind of um, situation. When the US thing started to happen for us, we were really, really keen on learning everything. But it came down to what could we do, firstly, to support ourselves, and secondly, to get where we wanted to be. We quickly came to the realization that there was no way we wanted to own rental properties with all the issues um, that we'd faced here. Uh, There are some great property managers out there. There's some great tenants out there trying to bring it all together. You know, we just didn't feel that we wanted to go down that route. And in the U.S., there were so many more opportunities, you know, wholesaling, seller financing, lease options, you name it. You know, there's a whole plethora of things that we could get involved in. So we were wholesaling initially in Jacksonville. But when we decided to move into Texas, we decided that we'd have a crack at lease options. We were listening to various podcasts by some of the, you know, the more successful investors. And we tried to put that together, didn't we? But somewhere in the middle, after getting all the contracts together, it just wasn't going to be for us. You know, it wasn't what we were looking for. We were looking for a more long-term strategy that could support us. And the seller financing model, being the bank for somebody who can't get conventional financing, you know, helping a lot of people along the way, you know, helping people with uh, retirement funds get some good rates of return on their money, then finding a buyer that cannot get a conventional loan and putting them into a property, you know, it all seemed to make sense for us. And that's where we are at the moment. Excellent. So there's a ton of questions in there and I, I, I can only unpack maybe one or two, but well, one, obviously, as you know, I'm a big fan of the seller financing option as well. And it's kind of how I got into all this with uh, my partner Landon. And now I'm in the, with the podcast, meeting you guys and everything. It is a great model because to me, it's a true win-win-win. And 
you know, life happens. And one of the things that I kind of struggle with is I never feel like, even though I'm in America and our healthcare is, well, it was, you know, you had to pay for it and all this and that. And I never thought anyone should lose their house because they got sick, right? However, I understand if I'm a landlord, I've got a contract, I still want to get my money. Life's not fair, okay? But the bottom line, but the seller financing, you know, coming in and, you know, let's say somebody gets divorced, right? Even if it's an amicable divorce, their credit's probably going to be hit pretty bad. They're going to be unbankable, right? Unmortgageable. You know, it's happened in my family. My, my aunt got sick very young and it was, you know, it was a financial burden for about 30 years with her condition and everything. So it's a great way to help people get into properties. And I found that people really do care. They get a chance. If somebody gives them a chance, they'll do their damnedest to make the most of it. Have you found that to be the case? Absolutely. That's the big thing. When we were dealing with tenants, they don't really care as much about the property they're living in. You know, I, I, funny enough, I was listening to the radio the other day yesterday in the car. They were talking about the um, pets, you know, having pets in rental properties. And a woman came on, she said, listen, I'll I'll have pets all day long. She said, because people generally look after their pets. She said, what I don't like is young children. She said, because they scratch everything up and they wreck everything. And I thought, you know, I mean, it was hilarious to me. But then I looked back and I thought, wow, the last property that we actually sold, we had a family of 10 in there and the place was trashed. And she was so right. And I thought, I don't want to deal with those properties anymore. Now, people that buy the properties, of course, it's their property. Do you trash your house? Do I trash mine? No, we don't. We look after them. And these are the kind of people that respect what we're doing. They appreciate what we're trying to do for them. And they work with us when we're trying to help them out. And so if we can get a property in, let's see if we can get somebody into a property for a similar price to what they would rent that property for, why wouldn't they do it? Absolutely. That's, you guys are students of Mitch Steven, I take it. Absolutely. Excellent. Absolutely love Mitch Stevens. And he's absolutely right. You know, if you're going to pay a thousand in rent, why not pay something similar to that and own it and have equity yep. you know, and have something that you can sell at the end of the time that you're there? So I kind of got into private lending because I found out that I am a horrible landlord. I mean, like I suck and I embrace that. You know, like I said, there are great property managers out there. There are great tenants and there are great contractors. I just never seem to have all three at the same time. <laughs> so, except when I bought my first rental property, there was this amazing tenant in there and she and her husband were building their retirement home and they were just waiting it out and didn't want to you know, spend a whole lot of money in a nice part of town on rent. So they lived where I, I had a house and four months into it, she wrote me a letter. Hey, our house is finished. I'm moving out. You know, here's my notice, everything by the book. And that was the last time I had a pleasant experience as a landlord. <laughs> And that seems to be a very common theme amongst landlords, doesn't it? You know, the very first one out, you get a good property manager, you get good tenants, everything goes fine, all the payments are coming in, the place isn't trashed, and then they leave for some reason. And then you get the second guys in, and they're not the same. And that's when things start to change. And that's when you decide at the time, you know, am I going to continue with this? Do I employ a property manager or do I look at something else? And that's, that's exactly what happened to us. Yeah. I do miss the depreciation that we enjoy here in the U.S. Don't even go there. Don't even <laughs> you don't get depreciation don't. in New Zealand. We used to, um, but then I forget which year, but it was a, a number of years back they took that all away. Yeah, New Zealand's a funny old place. We love it, but it's not always very business-minded. And, um, you know, we just find it absolutely crazy that, you know, we've got such a housing market crisis here. And yet every single law the government passes in relation to the property market it does everything to take everything away from landlords. I mean, you know, we've got a huge problem with 
insulation on all of our homes and they recently regulated to force landlords to upgrade all of their insulation at you know thousands and thousands of dollars worth of cost you know and it just goes on and on and on so everything here is geared towards taking away the incentive for people to buy up investment properties absolutely yeah yeah it's a real shame they don't seem to have the longer term view that you guys in the states do and um you know we found we can't praise it enough you know setting up businesses setting up bank accounts. It's all very, very easy in, in the US. There is a couple of things that are a wee bit tricky there, you know, as outsiders, but um, we've been able to overcome all of that, obviously. We, we have two um, companies set up in the US at the moment, you know, for doing what we're doing. And it was quicker to set up the company and the bank accounts in the US than it was to set up the same bank account here in New Zealand, strangely enough. Really? I'm curious. What are the hurdles for outsiders coming into the southern United States or the United States? What have you found were the hurdles that you had to get over? Well, that's uh, something that Michelle and I have decided we're going to put together a course. It's such a great thing to be able to do that many, many people, certainly at the rear clubs we've attended here in New Zealand, they look at it as a brick wall. No, that can't be done. We're going to try and put together a virtual wholesaling course, which encompasses this, and it's going to be targeted not only towards people in the US, investors in the US trying to get into wholesaling, but it's going to be targeted to people outside the US as well. These are the problems we've encountered. Things like you've got to face up to a bank in the US to open an account. We were with one of the bigger banks. We've had some issues with the bigger banks. Now we've gone to a local bank in Texas and they've been absolutely exceptional. So yeah, you've got to get over there or you've got to have a representative on the ground to open these for you. And we didn't feel comfortable suddenly being in control of our bank accounts. So we came over. The other thing is the company. You've got to have what they call an ITIN, an individual tax identification number, if you're outside the country. And that can be a minefield. And one thing I would say to anybody listening, go through a CPA. Do not do what we did three times. Mm. Don't try and do it yourself. Don't try and do it (laughs) yourself. Pay someone to do it for you. (laughs) Really, it is, it is worth whatever your CPA is going to charge you to get through that hurdle because the IRS, God bless them, they've got a big job to do. They don't know who we are. I'm trying to be kind. I'm okay? sorry. You're the first person I've ever heard say, God bless the IRS. We love the IRS. We love them, yes. Are they listening? No. Uh, <laughs> that is a first on this podcast. Thank you for that. <laughs> anyway, so there's some of the issues that we face, some of the bigger issues. Um, the rest of it, you know, uh, title companies, so where are you from? Oh, we're not sure we can do that. You know, well, hang on a sec, do you use DocuSign? Uh, yeah, we do. No problem then, you know? I think it's been quite surprising, actually. I mean, I, I would have just said the bank accounts and the tax numbers are the single two biggest things that we had to hurdle to start a business. Everything else was easy. You know, you can set up a company online. You don't have to go to an attorney's office or whatever to go and set up a company. You know, you can do all your marketing from online. You can talk to people either online or on a phone system. I was really surprised by how much we could do from here and equally surprised by how much a lot of people actually living in the United States weren't doing when we could do it from here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also, uh, just to interject there as well, it's a great talking point. I've got to say to people out there, you know, use the negatives as a positive. You know, when you're talking to people, hey, I'm sorry if the line's crackling up a little bit. I'm from New Zealand. I'm sitting here. Oh, are you really? You know, it's a rapport building thing. The private lenders that we've talked to, we met, I think we met six or eight of them at the Quest Expo. Again, you know, 
shout out to the guys at Quest for doing that. That was amazing. We'll be there next year as well. But when they find out you're from New Zealand, it breaks that initial barrier and they think to yourself, well, crikey, if this guy can get through these barriers and do this from New Zealand, you know, it's got to be worth investing in to put my money into properties that they're looking to borrow money off. And it works, I can tell you. You know, you just got to use those negatives and positives all the, all the time. It's a great asset. I love that. I love that mindset that you have there. And I can't tell you when I talk to you guys, it's always bittersweet and it's always very sweet, but the bitterness is I feel like a slacker. Like I feel like I'm not doing enough <laughs> because you guys are, we'll call it halfway across the world and investing in my backyard. And I, I think that is amazing. I, I still get just chills thinking about it sometimes about how, how cool that is. And what's funny is here's an ageist question, not a racist, but an ageist question here. I would assume that most of the tech would be handled by Michelle. Well, my background is in IT. I, I did a, a stint uh, in my latty or mid-year, should I say. Uh, we built a lot of stuff for um, some bigger companies. I won't mention their names. But um, I was a project manager putting together industrial computers. So I have a good background in that. I run a Mac. I love Macs to pieces. That's a whole different story. But now, gradually, Michelle has taken over from that. And I find myself saying, to her, just throwing the phone out there, you know, sort that out for me and do this and whatever. Yes, I'm getting lazy, but I, I enjoy doing more what I'm doing, talking to people on the phone. You can hear, I, I'm, Michelle's the brains, I'm the mouthpiece. And uh, I pick up the phone, I talk to people. She says to me, dad, call this guy, call that lady, you know, talk to them. If I get any issues, she's dealing with all the marketing on, on uh, social media. She's doing all of that for me. She's taking all the online courses. So that's Michelle's role. I was just going to say, um, I think, yes, I, I do tend to take the reins a little bit more with the tech, but not out of any particular ability type thing. It's just that we, because of what we're doing, we try as much as possible to leverage each other's skills as much as possible. And we've had a number of conversations. I mean, when we first started out, he probably doesn't want me to say, but when we first started out, he was, trying, he was pushing me to talk to sellers all the time. And that was fine. And I can do it but I'm not as good at it as he is. And so we really started to play off of each other's strengths and weaknesses. And I honestly believe that that's why we've been as successful as we have been, because we know that dad can talk the hind legs off a donkey and I can, you know, figure out ways to get around contacting people in an online or a digital environment. So that's what we try to do every day is just play off of those strengths and weaknesses. And sure, and, and you asked earlier about teams. That's an integral part of what we do. And so I liaise with the people who are selling the properties. I liaise with the buyers of the properties. And Michelle liaises with attorneys, CPAs, title companies. So she says she doesn't talk to people, but she talks to the professionals. And I talk to the non-professionals, if you want to call them that. That's the dividing line. And I'm going to be honest with you, we fight like cat and dog. But it works. You know, we've got a, a synergy between us. Um, we now understand our roles. We've talked to other investors. We had a great call the other day with an investor. He's struggling with a few aspects of, of his business. We're hoping we might be able to help out in, in that scenario. But it's, it really does. You know, um, it takes a while to settle into doing this. And I would just urge to people, you know, you're going to get hurdles doesn't matter whether it's personal confrontation between you and a team member or whether it's between you, a buyer or seller or a private lender or a podcast host. 
it can be anybody, but just work through it. You know, we've all got problems. We've all got issues. There is light at the other end of the tunnel. Simple as that. Yes. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely, I, I wanted to talk about how you build your teams. And so, in, you know, in Florida, you found somebody there to co-wholesale with you. Now that you've moved into Texas, how are you finding appraisers, attorneys, you know, the title companies, and so on? And like you said, a lot of title companies, they'll say no to something uh, because we've never closed with somebody in New Zealand before, you know? So how do you go about building your teams here in Texas? We had a huge advantage because, you know, around about the sort of time that we were looking to start building our teams was around about when we were making moves to come out to Texas in the first place. But Regardless of whether we had come to Texas or not, the procedure still would have been the same. And it's quite simply just ringing these people. So we will ring around as many title companies as we can find information for online and we'll ask them the questions. And in Texas, you know, our main questions were, okay, are there going to be any barriers to us being able to close with you because we're in another country? And we did come across quite a few title companies that turned around and said, no, you do need to be here in order to sign the documents which was a little off-putting when we first started. But eventually you find the companies that are quite willing to work around that. We found an excellent title company up in East Texas who just were more than happy to work with us in our particular scenario. They're actually moving to a, an online-type virtual notary. So that, yeah, it's um, East Texas title company over in Tyler. And they're just brilliant. Um, they've got an excellent team there. And... Yeah, we feel that we can actually help them develop their systems, I guess, as well, which is excellent. But the procedure is always the same. And, you know, we, we know, and I suppose it's an advantage, but we know because we're overseas that we are going to need people on the ground in these locations in order to make our business work. And so automatically you're coming at the business model in a completely different direction. Mm. You can probably talk more about our actual agents on the ground but yeah in addition to that as I say you know I'm a talker I pick up the phone and call people and um, I mean even with you Keith I think when we met you know I was picking your brains about who you're using for this and who yep. you're using for that recommendation is probably you know the best way to get a good title company a contractor electrician plumber whatever you want you know recommendations are the highest form of, of accolade that you can get really and I know as my background as an electrician if I did a good job for somebody, I'd get recommended. And that's how you pick up your work. So GCs on the ground, title companies, you know, they want to work with people and do a good job for them. And when they do that good job and they're prepared to stretch themselves just a little bit, you know, and work with people outside of the country, that's great. We'll go as far as we can to help them uh, attain that as well. So it broadens their business as well as ours. That's cool. I think the first 10 minutes we were speaking, it was... Uh... I use Quest IRA. I use, this is the attorneys. These are the handful of attorneys that I'll use. And I have a title company that I don't demand as a lender. I don't demand what title company or in some states, they close at attorney's offices with their escrow. When I do my own investing, I have my favorite title company that I use and shout out to Kelly Owens over at Texas Capital here in Houston. But she's an integral member of my team because if I have questions this sounds like a BS excuse. Can you, you know, help me out here? And she'll, she'll say, oh, yeah, no, that's all they need to do is this or they need this form. That's all, you know, it's whatever they need to do. So it's vital to have a good, I think, title company or at least an escrow officer on your, on your side that you can send business to, like you said, expand their business, but also in exchange, they can help you out as well. So I will call East Texas Title and Tyler and tell them they owe me 10 bucks. But uh, do that, yeah. yeah, speak to Sylvia. Okay, perfect. I will. All right. So other than, yeah, just going up and asking people, how do you find your private lenders from abroad? Just the same 
same way, exactly the same. You know, um, we get recommendations from people. In addition to Quest, we're in touch with um, a few other IRA custodians. And uh, I just call them and say, look, we'd love to work with you. You know, we realize there are obviously barriers that we can't breach. You know, there's uh, obviously confidentiality. But if there's a way that we can work together, you know, please let me know. And um, we've had a few people come back and ask us more about that. And, um, you know, that's it. That really is some of the way. You've got to be very careful, obviously, for solicitation for funding. We're well aware of the SEC guidelines. And I guess we could say, hey, look, we're going to break them and come and get us, you know, see what you can do. We're in New Zealand. But um, we wouldn't do that. You know, we try constantly. One of our things has always been to work as ethically and as properly as possible, Keith. We've turned business away. We've done deals for, you know, next to nothing just to do things in the right way. We need to make sure that everybody we work with and everybody who works with us is treated fairly professionally and, you know, we do what we say we're going to do. So when we're talking to private lenders, you know, it's very important that we've got a credibility kit that we send to them, we show them. It gives them a, a lot of what we've spoken about today. You know, what's our background? Where do we come from? How do we do our deals, you know? Again, with Mitch behind us, you know, if we get any issues at all, some what I call curly questions, we'll give Mitch a call. Just say, look, have you come across this? How do we overcome it? So from a lender's perspective, we've got not only our experience, but we've got 22, 25 years of worth of um, Mitch Stevens behind us. So, yeah, as far as finding these people, talking. That's it. Cool. I think, again, the most difficult part about finding lenders in particular is, I mean, Dad was saying it when we first started out in business in the US. A lot of people in the US want somebody to front up to them. You know, they actually want to stand in front of you and shake your hand so that they can make that initial assessment of you, read your body language, all that sort of thing. And that's been a huge thing that we've had to try and figure out a way around. And I think it's just about understanding what you can do from a distance and then figuring out, again, how you can leverage the different tools that are available out there to your advantage. And I mean, we are using things like LinkedIn and Facebook to a degree that probably a lot of other people are not to try and find the sorts of professionals that we might need to speak to, you know, who might be interested in learning a little bit about exactly our method of investing. And we don't hold anything back either. I mean, I, I don't know what a lot of other people in our situation might do, but I think sometimes people's tendencies are to sugarcoat everything or to hold information back in the hopes that they either don't put their foot in it or, you know, maybe that they don't give away all of their information about how their business is done. And certainly dad and, and now me as well, we've never ever been like that. We tell you how it is. We tell you everything. I mean, he'll even go so far sometimes as to tell you the list that we're buying, <laughs> which is crazy. <laughs> but, um, you know, I like to help people, Keith. Uh, you know. <clears throat> to your own detriment, yeah. <laughs> my wife crazy. She says, why are you telling people that? It's your business. I say, you know, the guy needs a help. You know, I, I've got to try and help him, you know. Um, but I think it's that genuine nature that we actually do manage to get across to a lot of people. And we are genuine. You know, it's not just a persona that we put on or anything. Mm. You know, we legitimately enjoy working in this industry I mean the stuff that we were doing in Florida every time we close on a property and give the seller their check you know it was amazing and you know we have one lady who it could be considered an absolute disaster story I mean it took us 12 18 months, 18 months. to close her property 
I mean, you can tell the story. It was just yeah, incredible. A, a probate property. Uh-huh. You know, she we made an offer to her. You know, and uh, she the place was trashed, and she hadn't seen it for many years. Yeah, we just worked with her and worked with her and worked with her, and uh, we got it done in the end. We had lots and lots of issues because of different states. She was in New York, and uh, the property was in Florida. So we had probate problems with two sets of lawyers. But as I say, we got through it, and uh, she was very appreciative at the end of it. She lost a lot of money because, you know, through her own personal reasons or whatever, she delayed Mm. taking up our offers. I mean, she Mm. went to a realtor at one point and tried to sell it through a realtor. And she did end up losing an awful lot of money. But the biggest thing that we took away from it was that, you know, she came back to us. And at the end of the day, when she got her check at closing, you know, she was still so thankful and grateful that we managed to solve that problem for her. And that was the biggest boost you could ever get. So, yeah. And I was just going to tackle, you know, what Michelle was saying about fronting up with people. I mean, some of the, you'll know, one of the big reasons that we came to the States, it wasn't to meet investors so much or meet title companies. It was to find these private lenders. We're talking to normal people, you know, with retirement funds here that um, probably don't understand how they can use those retirement funds. Any kind of capital, you know. I think the perception of a lot of people is to invest in the stock market. You'll be well aware of all this. I've invested in the stock market. Have you? Have you won? You know, (laughs) one minute you're earning 50 or 60% on your investment, next minute it's down to zero and you've got nothing back at all. Now, what we're looking for are people that are, they have the forward thinking ability to see that the percentage rates that we're offering them, every single payment's coming in, mailbox money, every single month, it's a more sustainable, reliable method of using those funds, you know, for their future or for whatever, you know, and if it's going back into the IRA, then it's building the IRA. There's so many things that we can do to help these people. And to do that on a phone originally, we thought that's going to be tricky to do. So we came over, we met the people at Quest IRA, at the expo. But, you know, while we were talking to them, we found that, hey, this isn't so much different than doing it on the phone. And so when I got back here, we started to adapt a similar principle. And I always use the New Zealand thing, you know, it breaks down those barriers and you start talking to people. Some people, you know, they're not interested, but others, they're really, really receptive and they don't know what we've got to teach them. And so when we can tell them that, hey, look, you can make anywhere between 6 to 9% on your money for the next five years and we'll keep your principal safe and it's secured by a first lien on the property and it's this and it's that. They start to sit and think, if nothing else, and then we get a few phone calls come back and say, look, so how does that really work? So it's all done on the phone again now, you know. Nothing's impossible. The trip to Texas was exceptional. We went to Houston. We went to Dallas. We went to Tyler. We went to Longview. We went back to Dallas. We went to Houston. We went to San Antonio. It was a wonderful, wonderful trip, and we'll be doing it again but not specifically for any reason, just because we love the environment. We like being amongst these kinds of people. Well, when you come back to Houston, I'd like to offer you guys some pork ribs from my barbecue pit in the backyard. So come hungry. I'll take care of them. <laughs> Your story is, like I said, I love the story. And I obviously got along great with you guys and I hope to continue to stay in touch through our careers here. And thank you for coming on. But I have some kind of oddball questions I'd like to throw at you right now that you're not prepared for. But 2008, New Zealand real estate market, similar to the US, what happened? No, it didn't hit here. In fact, I was on the floor laughing at one stage because we had a guy 
again, not, he's probably not listening to this, I hope he isn't, <laughs> came on the TV and said, oh, doom and disaster in the US. This has happened. The GFC is hit. But don't worry, New Zealand. We're too far away. This can't happen to us. That's what he said on national TV. 2009, mid-2009, it all started to hit. I was going to say, I think by about 2010, people yeah. were starting to struggle. We started to lose a lot of money, especially in places like Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch, some of the bigger cities here. And so, yes, we had exactly the same thing, but it was delayed. And that continued really until, what, 11, 12? Yeah. Yeah, and it's just we started to pick up in 2012, 13, which is, again, incidentally, you know, that's why I came out in 2012 to Sacramento to do the course. I felt that it was going to take a lot longer to recover here. And in some respects, it has. It hasn't bounced back quite as quickly. But it continues to be a difficult market. When you have properties in Auckland, which are on average, we said the average rate here in New Zealand is around $45,000, dollars I don't know the stats on that. I can't quote that exactly. But if you guess that it's 50000 the median price in Auckland at the moment is getting six, seven hundred thousand dollars. It's more than that. Okay, so I'm out of touch with that now. Nearly a million now. So if you take that into account with a ratio that we can look at in the states where the median price is around again forty-five thousand, we can buy properties for thirty thousand. You know, it's a difficult market here. Very difficult. It sounds like you guys are. You got the best of two horrible worlds, the East Coast and the West Coast of the United States. Those are San Francisco and New York prices, sounds like. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then in Texas, where are you? Are you sticking to the bigger cities? I know Tyler is not considered a big city at all. It's a very country compared to you know, the metroplexes of Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, but I would say a quieter city. So are you specifically looking for more rural areas or are you just Without giving away the secret sauce, Steve, I don't want you to, to get the wife upset. There you go, Michelle covers mouth. But <laughs> whereabouts are you? What's your strategy there? What type of properties are you looking for and where? No, I think we're just basically looking anywhere where we can buy properties for the, the half. I think, what do we look for? The half price side of town. That's it. <laughs> That's what mm-hmm. Mitch always says. I think, um, you know, in Florida, we tended to focus on one or maybe two markets. We did divert a little bit into Orlando. And we had this mentality that we had to be in one market. And so I think in Texas, we've sort of developed a different mentality. And now we, we know that, you know, we can invest in just about any market in Texas. So we've looked at Houston, we've looked at Tyler, we've looked at Fort Worth, we've looked at, you know, some of the outlying areas like Longview, um, Marshall, Beaumont, Weatherford lots of different places and I don't think that we specifically have any particular market. I mean at the moment we are sort of focusing around the Fort Worth area just because we just wanted to but there's no reason why we we would have to do that. We've got strategic relationships with people in several different markets, East Texas being one, Houston being another and um, mainly Fort Worth, not Dallas so much but Fort Worth site. And so we're nurturing those relationships. They're all very good markets. Um, I've got to say that the stability of the Texas market is the thing that drives us, not necessarily, you know, locations. We know people that are investing in Texarkana, you know, and El Paso. They're not big markets, but they're making headway. And so we don't really want to compete with the big investors in Houston, for example. There's no need for us to do that. We've got plenty of contacts around to do exactly what we want to do. 
And in some respects, some of these markets are growing markets. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for growing emerging markets, places where universities are popping up, hospitals are popping up. People are coming in from California, of course, all around Dallas at the moment. So that's a good market to be in. So yeah, it's not one specific thing. Interesting. Okay, cool. The state is quite diverse, quite large and quite diverse. And it's not only it's flora, fauna and, and real estate you know, markets. So that's uh, quite interesting. One other question you mentioned earlier when the guy came on TV and said it's, it's going to happen or we're going to be insulated. You said the GFC hit. What is the GFC? Global financial crisis. Okay. There, just wanted to make sure. No, we're going to interject as well. I mean, it, it didn't hit us here like it hit the States. I mean, we didn't have people mm. losing their homes and being forced out onto the street. That's not how it manifested here. But certainly our economy took a hit. Mm. And as a result, you know, that's when the government started tightening up on all that legislation around home ownership. Yeah, and, and how they would lend to people. A lot of financial institutions mm. went under. The banks were then criticised and, and questioned about their practices Lots and lots of stuff like that. All very political, all very boring, and uh, probably not relevant to this podcast. <laughs> I'm just curious because the, um, again, yeah, the whole distance thing. I think is wonderful that you guys have found a way to, to do this. And if there's any way I can help you guys promote your course once you get it put together, please, please let me know. Yeah, we're hoping to have it ready and available for release in the early new year. So it's something we've been thinking about for a long time. And I yeah. think certainly mm -hmm. that was one of the biggest takeaways we got from our trip to Texas was just yeah. how many people were amazed by what we do from here. And, you know, we just, we yeah. like to share our knowledge. So, And also from a perspective of helping people, you know, we do help people with houses, but we also like to help people that are new to the business as well. I've had so many people say, look, I'd like to get into wholesaling. How do we do that? So I've kind of offered them some initial advice and tried to mentor them. Some of them have fallen away. Some of them have been good enough to come back and take some more instruction from me. And it really just begs the question, why don't we help these people as well? It's not all about money because up to now that advice has been given freely over the phone. But I do think that there's a, an area here that people not only in the, in the US, as I say, but outside the US could identify with and we can help those people as well. That's great. I, I, um, I want to come back and touch base with you guys in about another year. You know, the next Quest Expo is going to be in Houston. So I will have some pork ribs and barbecue ready for you guys. We've got our accommodation sorted already. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. That's excellent. Well, Steve, Michelle, thank you guys so much for coming on. I really do appreciate it. It's great to see you guys and talk to you again. And um, I wish you guys all the best in investing and getting private lenders. And the same to you and Landon as well. Thank you so much, Keith. And there it is. A ton of valuable information for you, Lender Nation. You can go to the show notes page at privatelenderpodcast.com, episode 57, to find the links and contact information that was mentioned and to find out more information about how the Green family uses private money lenders to fund their deals from halfway around the world. I really want to thank Stephen Michelle for that great interview, and I hope you, the listener, enjoyed it as well. You know, the only price I ask for listening to the Private Lender Podcast is that you please leave me a rating and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher SoundCloud, or whatever platform you're using at the moment, or leave a comment if you're listening to it at the podcast website. And please help spread the word so others can find this and, and listen and learn as well. You can connect with me on social media, all the channels that I rarely ever go on. You can find those links at privatelenderpodcast.com. And finally, this is where I normally ask you to go to privatelenderacademy.com to sign up to get on the waiting list. 
But um, I need to apologize because you're going to be waiting a lot longer, unfortunately. I've bitten off way more than my schedule will allow me to chew with this academy thing. And my eyes were way bigger than my stomach. So I really do want to make sure that I can be proud of anything you know, I put out for which I intend to charge people money. When it does launch, it will be worth the wait. Uh, so please go ahead and go to privatelenderacademy.com and, and sign up and get on the slower than molasses on a cold Christmas morning waiting list. I promise I am doing my best to speed things up and get back ahead or on schedule. Well, look, if you're hearing my voice, I want to thank you for listening. And I want to thank you and ask all of you to please, please keep emailing me. I know I don't respond very quickly. Sometimes it, it might not seem that I do at all. I've had a lot of issues with email lately, but I think I've got it fixed. So please keep that up. I do appreciate the communication, the questions and the words of support. And I do promise to decrease my response time and decrease the time that it takes to get the Academy out there. So that is it for episode 57. Thanks again for listening. I want to wish all of you safe and prosperous, private lending and also all investing. I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Private Lender Podcast with your host, Keith Baker. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit privatelenderpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time.